Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, growing up in Arkansas, he always dreamed of being a storyteller as a way to honor his family and to keep his grandmother's tradition alive. And my goodness, how this playwright and screenwriter and TV writer has done just that. Welcome, Kui Gwyn, to the podcast. A-OK. Hey, everybody. My guest today is Kui Gwyn. Kui is a wildly inventive playwright and screenwriter, and I most recently got to see his incredible play, Poor Yellow Rednecks, at the Manhattan Theater Club. Um, I would describe it as a young Vietnamese family attempts to put down roots in Arkansas. They attempt to balance big hopes with low-wage jobs, and the past is always right along the corner, and it makes for a bumpy road to the American dream. And apparently, unbeknownst to me, it is a companion piece or the next chapter in a story of plays you've written, the first being Viet Gone, uh, which was done how many years ago? Uh, I, I I think I first wrote it in 2014. I think it was produced at MTC in 2016. Uh, was when, when it was produced, uh, and so it's and and that the follow up Poriello was supposed to be in 2020, but then obviously a small thing happened then that that forced us to postpone it till now. Right, a global pandemic. I was actually in a play at MTC when COVID hit, and so to be back in the theater seeing your play the other day, it's such a special theater. Heart so, and... can you tell us a little bit uh, about your family and how this play came to be? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I mean, like, it, it always goes down to the origins of why I wanted to be a writer in the first place, right? Like, I'm, I'm the kid of Vietnamese immigrants or refugees specifically, and I, I wanted my whole life to tell their story because I knew what I was seeing in the world from Miss Saigon's to, like, you know, the the war movies of, like, Platoon and, and, and Full Metal Jackets and things like that that were happening, and I was like, that's not my family's story. That in no way is reflective of the experience uh, of what I've been growing up with, and it's not reflective of the experience of uh, of their love story of what they've gone through it, it's always been the perspective of like the white american soldier and never from the actual vietnamese immigrants themselves and so i always wanted to tell that story one for my own kids and for for future generations but two just as a way of saying thank you to my parents because i knew they sacrificed a lot and they sacrificed one of the most important things was uh you know especially when it came to my grandmother who didn't speak any english uh, they they had to force themselves to kind of create a language barrier between us. For me to succeed in America, they kind of forced themselves to stop speaking Vietnamese to to you know to myself for many years, which kind of 
dulled out my ability to do that so I could have this anchor of English in this country. And so to take the thing that I'm known for, which is writing, telling stories in English, obviously, and to be able to honor their story, that was such a major important thing for me to do. And then when it comes to the style that, that, that I do, that was all developed with the theater company that I started back in like 2003 uh, called Vampire Cowboys. It was this pop culture company that that did a lot of quote-unquote geek theater, uh, which is just basically a, a catch-all phrase for doing stuff that had a lot of pop culture, hip-hop, and, and, and superhero fights and stuff like that, because I'm also a fight director, so it always gave me a chance to choreograph fights and puppetry and stuff like that. And to my shows, it was also a chance to kind of create superheroes uh, for at that time, there was like before, you know, Marvel Studios, a chance to create superheroes for those who don't, for, for all of us who don't often get to see ourselves that way. At that time, women, LGBTQ, queer folks, people of color uh, and so it was a chance to be able to create heroes that way and then when I, I sat down to finally write these plays I was like I'm going to take that style because that's who I am and tell my parents story in that style so that's that's kind of the combo shot of what made poor yellow rednecks poor yellow rednecks okay so I'm sitting in poor yellow rednecks I am I'm thinking of August Wilson and different writers over the years who have kind of created this this legacy of of following families or people like through the decades, right? And I and I think about, um, you know, Arthur Miller did it, you're doing it, sort of taking us into the world of these familiar characters and kind of letting us check in with them along the way. But what is so extraordinary to me, and, you know, in, in knowing that the play is so autobiographical, to understand that your parents in 1975 find themselves both with past and in your father's case, a, a previous family and your mom and grandma are all arriving and are in basically a refugee camp in Arkansas, which I cannot imagine. Um, haven't spent a lot of time in Vietnam or Arkansas, but my, my gut tells me they're very different on every single level. Um, and yeah, there's there's this thing in the play where in order for you to assimilate, as it were, there's this incredible connection between you and your grandmother that somehow gets torn apart because of this language thing. But now I'm like talking to a man who writes for Disney and Marvel, started at an English-speaking theater company, uh, has plays done at all of the best theaters around the world. So tell me about this love of writing and when, uh, obviously your proficiency in English <laughs> <laughs> you know, is unbelievable. Uh, and, 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 you know, you are a Shakespeare for our time. So, so how did it go from a household of just Vietnamese, a school in Arkansas of just English? When did the dots connect and when did writing become your passion? Uh, well, the 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 it, I always go, it's more storytelling than writing than anything else. And it, 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 it always comes from my grandmother, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that she, uh, because I, I mean, I, I I know the origin story of it all. It was I remember uh, my grandmother would talk to me constantly. I was like her little man. There was like my mom and dad because they were blue collar. They woke up early in the morning and stayed at their jobs late at night, so I didn't see them as much um, because they needed to put you know food on the table. 
And so my grandmother became like the, 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 the anchor of who I saw every day. And, uh, and she would just tell me stories constantly. I remember uh, there was a thing that I said to her, I was like, well, I know you are, which is basically like, grandma, you, why are you telling me, talking so much? Why are you constantly telling me stuff? And I remember my grandmother very specifically said, because I have nothing. I don't, I, you know, when we escaped Vietnam, I wasn't able to bring photo albums or jewelry or money or any of those things. So the only thing I have of value are my stories. That's it. That is the only thing I have uh, to give you. And honestly, I think it's probably the most important thing to give you because it's kind of the only thing we get to carry in our hearts. It's the only thing that we get to hold on to to our last dying days. And the moment we start to lose them, like if you're going through dementia or Alzheimer's, those are things that we, 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 that we hold most precious, right? And having that, that, that idea, that thing that my grandmother told me at such an early age became the thing that was stuck in my head since like the age of five, all the way up to how old I am now, that I was like, oh, the most valuable thing that any of us have is the stories that we carry, the things that we experience, things that we share with, you know, some stories we only share with our lover, some that we just share with our kids, with our family. For me, it's obviously sharing with the world. And then there's some that you just hold on preciously to yourself that you don't share with anyone. And those just that 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 became so important to me, and that became my obsession to be a, to be a storyteller. And obviously, because English became such a a point of contention, not not between my parents about how, how I was going to tackle it, but then also a point of like focus because they were like. Because it wasn't just that I had to be good at, at English. I had to become the English translator for my mom, my dad, my grandmother. I filled out every form. I wrote, And this is a common story with a lot of kids uh, that, that have immigrant parents. I became that English linchpin for them. And so, so that's, that's why like both the, you know, my wordsmithing and the stories that I tell became so integral and so important to me that when I, when I kind of grew up and, and dreamt of what I wanted to be, that, that dream of an eight-year-old kid, it was to go, oh, I want to tell my parents' story. I want to tell superhero stories. I wanted to tell superheroic stories about my parents. So, so, so generations later of kids that look like me and my children will always have heroes that look like them. Well, what a profound thing it must be then to have a dream or fantasy about what you want to do, and you're doing it on like this really huge stage, both film, television, and and theater. So what was your way in professionally? Um, you know, as I mentioned, you work at Disney and Marvel, and and you know, you're such a prolific person in all of these lanes. How did it go from a kid like who loved superheroes, um, and I assume watching movies growing up, uh, to to like this is what you do as a grown person? I mean, I'm very DIY. If I'm going to be honest, like I think yeah. that because I mean, if you look at my resume, if you if you looked at who I was at 25, I don't think I was the perfect candidate to have the career that I currently have, right? Like I, you know, I, I you know, I'm a kid of immigrants. Uh, you know, I, I, I did not grow up with a lot of money. Um, I graduated from not very, you know, famous schools for writers, including like my graduate school. I have a degree in playwriting at a school now that doesn't offer a degree in playwriting anymore because they can't keep enough writers there. Um, so when I got to New York, I don't think there was a lot of people knocking on my door to find out what I, what they needed from me. And so that's why I started my theater company, Vampire Cowboys. I needed to create my own opportunities. Those opportunities were kind of like uh, elevated by my now wife, but then just person I met, I will say, who had seen my shows and was like, you're a really good artist, but you're a terrible producer. <laughs> but I am a producer. Her name's Abby, Abby Marcus. And she uh, took over my company and found a way 
to get the attention it deserves. She, she took my geek theater style and was like, you know what? We can't compete with those that want to go to Lincoln Center. <laughs> so instead, we're going to go find your audience at New York Comic Con. So she, with her own money, got a booth at New York Comic Con and then uh, started asking me to stage fights at, at New York Comic Con to get attention. And then all those fans at New York Comic Con became the core fans of my work and my company. And we kind of sold out every performance of every show for a, a decade straight. And then from that, I got my first managers and agents and 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 the curiosity of the bigger theaters. And then uh, and the, the truth is, even though I got that attention, I was financially uh, still pretty poor. I was very popular, but also very poor. And so when I wrote Vit Gone, the intent for Vit Gone at that time was for it to be my last play. I was going to give up. I thought this was it. I had gone as far as this life could go as a writer. I mean, uh, and, and I'm just going to go do something else because I have kids. I have a marriage that I need to work on. This was going to be it. And what a great way to, to close it out. It's a story about my family, which I've always wanted to tell with the, the set of artists that I had grown up with me in the last 20 years. Maureen Sebastian, who's the lead in Poor Yellow Rednecks with someone I met back in 2006. I've written so many plays for. Her. I was like, you know what? With And Paco Tolson and John Hosh as well. I get to do this with, you know, a story about my family with my chosen family. What a great way to, to end it. And then of course, you know, obviously my, my career has, has changed quite a bit since eight years ago. Basically these, this group of actors wouldn't give up on me. They transformed my life through this play. They gave, they didn't give up on me, even though I'd given up on myself and they kind of forced my hand into creating myself a career. And then, you know, obviously, uh, you know, people uh, that are much fancier than myself took attention and uh, gave me opportunities to, you know, write in television and film and, and kind of really actually live out those dreams I had as an eight-year-old kid. And I still pinch myself to this day that I've gotten to make Ryan the Last Dragon, that I got to make Stranger World, that I get to make Vitgon and Tree Close Monsters and now Poor Yellow Rednecks. Like these are things that I never thought I would be able to, to do, uh, especially when I was about to give up on it in, you know, 2014. That is unbelievable. I, I have a, a sort of just a random question, but growing up in, did you call it Arkansas or Arkansas when you were growing up? Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> so growing up in Arkansas, um, what did Bill Clinton mean to you? And what did it mean when he became president? Well, he means uh, a lot to me, like extremely personally, uh, because he was an integral person in bringing my my middle brother to America. And my, when I say my middle brother, I mean he's actually literally my cousin. Um, and you know, he he his story to getting to America was he was a Vietnamese boat person. Uh, the boat that he tried to escape on or was escaping on, the engine died halfway through their journey, and he unfortunately lost both his parents and his older brother. And he was then discovered by Filipino fishermen, and he was he ended up at a, ref, at a refugee camp in um, in the Philippines. And at that time, in 1988, the average time it took to get someone over that wasn't your direct relative, meaning your parent or your kid, was about two years, if not four years, was more average. And my mom refused to accept that as you know the circumstance. Like I'm not going to let my nephew stay in a refugee camp without a family for that many years. 
and so she went to the governor's mansion in uh, in Little Rock, and the governor at the time in 1988 was Bill Clinton, and so uh, she made a lot of noise, and you know, Bill, you know, it being a nice election year for him, uh, but I don't, I'm not going to say that's why he did it, but like, I'm going to say like, it, it, what he was an integral part in expediting my cousin coming to America, like the thing that was supposed to take years ended up taking like uh, four months uh, and it became like the feel good story of my home state. And that's kind of like the subject matter of uh, Vitgon 3, the, 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 the play that comes after Poor Yellow Rednecks that I'm currently writing. And it is about that, that, that single thing, that kind of super heroic move of my mom doing that and also the journey of, of my cousin getting to America. Uh, but Bill Clinton obviously is a, a major you know component to all that because without him we would never be able to expedite that so so i so so bill clinton does actually weirdly mean a lot to, to me and my family wow that's incredible so how do you get to new york as a kid growing up where you grew up i assume i mean did you ever come like on a class trip to new york growing up what was your introduction to new york city no, I I had never been to New York City. Uh, I, I I it was in grad school, my 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 final year in grad school. Uh, my my friends and I, uh, you know, everyone was like, you know, going for internships because I was part of our, our graduate. Uh, to 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 graduate, you had to do an internship, and I I I chose New York City, uh, and uh, that that that's and then I just kind of fell in love with the city. I was like, well, I mean, the truth is when I was a kid, those were the two places I've always wanted to live. I always wanted to live in New York and LA. I always wanted to do, you know, theater and I always wanted to make movies. And so, uh, so, so the New York got, became the choice because, uh, because my friends and I had gone there on internship. And, and literally when you get here, did you have relatives here? Did you have like a number of a friend of a friend? Like, how do you, did you did you fly into JFK and then like what arrived. happened? Yeah, I graduated. Uh, uh, I, I literally like the day after I graduated from Ohio University, I, I hopped a ride with a friend of mine. She drove me to New York. I subletted a room uh, from uh, a, a couple that I had found out about from the from my internship. The the people who worked in the office like, hey, there's a room available. And so that's how I ended up there for about two months. And then randomly while I was walking around Chinatown, I bumped into an undergrad friend of mine who was on tour and he was completing his uh, tour. He was doing a children's theater tour. He's like, oh, I want to move here to, to, to New York. I need a roommate. I was like, I'll be your roommate. And it was just the most random thing that ever happened. And so then we just got a place in Williamsburg and and then I, that's where I lived for like 15 years. And started this theater company sort of grassroots and and found people including a wife so before we started recording you were describing why you are at this moment not in new york or la but in cincinnati ohio because your wife runs um cincinnati playhouse in the park so like uh as my great giant dream was to make movies and to do uh to 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 do theater uh yeah. her only was only to do theater and her big dream was to run a major regional theater and so when we were in LA, uh, she got headhunted for this job. And so I was like, you know, I, I don't know what kind of husband I'd be if I wasn't like, you, this is your big dream. Why, why would I stop you from doing this? We'll make it work. 
like it, it's unfair for me to get my dreams and you not to get yours. And so, uh, so we live in two different cities and we're making it work. You know, she's in Cincinnati. I'm in Los Angeles. I fly a lot uh, to be able to, to be there for, for, you know, I, I see them all the time. Uh, but, but it, it obviously it's, it's been good on my frequent flyer miles, uh, but physically I might be a little more physically beat up than I was uh, say two years ago. So it's happened. I assume at some point, your parents and kids, have they been in an audience at the same time with you seeing the play? Uh, my parents have never seen the play. Uh, the, so first play? Or- the first play? The first play, mainly because when I interviewed them for the stories that they were right. giving, they didn't know I was writing a play about them. They thought I was just trying to get context for the Vietnamese American experience, not realizing that I was literally going to tell a story about them. And so once they started seeing all the reviews and it was being written like Vietnamese papers and things like that, they realized it was literally about them. And they're like, you know, we haven't really dealt emotionally with this stuff. Like when we talked to and told you all these stories, it was kind of like the first time we've told them in years. Oh my God. Quite ready to deal with that stuff. And now they're just at, at a point in their lives where they don't travel as well. And so, uh, so that, so they haven't had a chance to see them. So my little brother and I this past year actually shot a documentary uh, on it was called the family vid gone and it's about the plays themselves but it's also interviews with my mom and dad and my brother and we're bringing that to them because it's something that i can just travel to to to, to arkansas where they're still at you know rent a theater and let them get some kind of context of how the world sees them like that right now it's been produced all over the place vid gone so many people know their stories there's literally fans of my parents and it's like it's so weird because they have no context of what that feels like or what that, you know, how many people know them. And so making that documentary and it's literally a documentary for an audience of seven, my two parents, my two kids and my three nieces, that's it. And to be able to give it to them has been really wonderful. And my kids, of course, seen all my plays and they're, uh, they, 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 they love my plays uh, because one, they get to sit in a room uh, where uh, they get to see adults swear a lot and they're like, hee they're cussing and they won't let me cuss. <laughs> so, and, how and old I, are your kids? Well, now they're, they're, my oldest is 14 and my youngest is 10, but they were obviously much younger when Bitgon was rolling. Yes, yes, they were little, so, little. So, yeah, but they, 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 they enjoy it because, you know, my stuff is so colorful. It's so fun. It's so funny. Like it's more comedy than anything else. And so they enjoy all the super heroic stuff that exists in the plays. Uh, and, and then they get some real like context about their family, you know? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so you're raising mixed race kids in Ohio and do you feel like when you look at that sort of how you grew up and how your kids are growing up do you have anything that comes to mind about that experience well I mean it's 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 definitely like the thing that like uh that you know my wife and I talk about often you know like the fact that they are uh, you know, Vietnamese or Vietnamese American and Jewish and to and and I think that there was a thing that I remember uh, them saying I, I remember responding you're not half Asian you're not half Jewish you are Asian and you are Jewish you are not half of anything you are whole these things you just happen to be genetically you're both your mom and dad but you are whole these things and that that's a context I didn't have before I had kids you know before I had kids I didn't think about that at all and now to have them uh, I, I go oh and so I think both my wife and I take it very um you know, we, 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 we understand the importance to make sure that they, that they, that they're exposed and they feel, you know, proud of both those elements of who they are, you know. 
Well, this is a play that uh, is based in pride. I mean, Poor Yellow Rednecks is, if nothing else, it is about just embracing and loving and honoring. It is such a like absolute um, like uh, delight. It's a delight and it's moving and it's funny. And I just can't even imagine what it is to watch it, to be the person who lived this story and see all that love expressed on stage. It's really one of the most extraordinary plays I've ever seen. And every actor in your play and your brilliant director and your designers and everything about it is just really um, a lasting, lasting experience for me as a viewer and of uh, someone who felt really privileged to get to see it. So congratulations. Can you just say, you you mentioned you're working on another play. So so is it a trilogy in your mind or or is there no end in sight of where oh, no, the, it, these stories it, can go? It's it, it originally was supposed to be five plays. Uh, the the whole 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 sequence, but now I'm kind of I've broken it up. So there's there the trilogy of plays, which uh, is Vit Gone, Poor Yellow Rednecks, and this third play that I'm doing. And then there's wait, uh, what are you saying? I'm sorry, there because we're on Zoom. What is the name of this third piece? Doesn't have a name yet. I oh just oh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it, that one's commissioned by the Geffen in Los Angeles. Okay, here in New York, and so like the, that that's the play that I'm currently writing. And then there's two more plays in that kind of series of it gone world uh, that I, that I've kind of separated that outside of it. it used to be one solid five play story, and now it's the, this trilogy of my family's origin story and these two more plays that are about kind of my grandmother's upbringing in Vietnam, and you know, uh, uh, and and then also my parents in their their elderly years. And yeah. so those are those are kind of like the 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 kind of five stories that I'm telling. Okay, my last, I, I have one more question. Have you been to Vietnam? I've not been to Vietnam. We were going to go in 2020. We had okay. a trip with my mom to go, and then obviously it got canceled for the global pandemic. And so we are now uh, planning it again. We are in the process of planning that trip finally again. Uh, so yeah, we're excited. We're excited. I am unbelievably grateful to have this time with you. Congrats on the play. Congrats on your beautiful family. Congrats on finding a way to honor your parents that is so universal in its um, in its dramatic telling that whether your family is from Vietnam or wherever they are from, if you are a human being, you will connect to Kui's writing. So congratulations. Thank you for spending this time with me today. I'm so honored. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I feel honored for just being on the show. So thank you so much. Well, until next time, I can't wait to see the next play and I wish you a wonderful day. Oh, thank you too. Bye. Bye. I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com 
forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.